it's Julia, a.k.a. Lyra Kroll, a.k.a. Bethel. Welcome to episode 14 of Academy H, part 5 of our Signs Importance arc, featuring our very special guest, Amber Logsdon. Unfortunately, this is the last episode that they're going to be with us for now, and I stress for now because we truly loved having them with us, and we adore the character that they brought into our little team. Burke is very special to us all. You can find Amber at The Space Jamber on all social media if you haven't checked them out yet. Well, now you you gotta. That's Those are the rules. You, you gotta. If you are listening to this the day it goes up, then we are recording a new episode of this show live at twitch.tv slash live from the apocalypse tonight. And we will be doing so every other Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is where we do the majority of our fundraising. We would love for you to stop by, hang out, haze us, enjoy the emotional trauma with, you know, the whole group. We had a lot of fun recording this episode with Amber, and we really hope you like it. So without further ado, here's Academy H, Signs Importance, Part 5. I think our establishing shot is going to be from the ground level of the sidewalk in Corinth, which is sort of our hipster neighborhood of province. And there is loud driving bass in the background, muffled because it's from inside the club. But as we focus in on that sidewalk and the music plays in the background and there are different pairs of feet walking by us. Three pairs stop pretty much directly in front of the camera. We pan up to see Casimir, Bethel, and Berkeley standing there. There is something I should know about Kaz. Um, Uh So I will say, well, he was waiting for Berkeley and Bethel to return He did take Bethel's words under advisement, um, which in his case means he is wearing his usual outfit of his jean jacket and ripped jeans, but he has stuffed his hair underneath a beanie and has put skull face paint on his face because he has decided that is the way to look the least conspicuous and like himself. Yeah, you're very unobtrusive. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, cool. Casimir, standing there, fairly normal, but your hair is under beanie and you have skull face paint on. Yes. So you can blend. Exactly. What efforts, if any, have Berkeley and Bethel made to blend in with this crowd? When we went to the dorm, I just grabbed, like, normal teenager clothes, you know? I'm going to pretend like I know what Gen Z wears really quickly. Um, you know, like the mom jeans with like the, the rips and, um, you know, checkerboard bands, maybe like a, I don't know, like an ironic Simpsons t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Chains. Yeah. You know, we've all yeah, been on TikTok. Yeah. Chains. Yeah. Um, 
to remember what like the Gen Z like Sims wear in the new pack. <laughs> Everything is Sims. Uh, yeah. The fashion recycles in 30 year chunks, which means they are wearing what we wore in the 90s, but cropped. Yeah. It's true, categorically. I feel that. So, question about Berkeley. Your opalescent skin, is that something they project because they choose to, or is it uh, involuntary? Is it a side effect of their powers? It is a side effect of the powers. Okay. I, they were born, like, with normal, you know, like, normal sheen to their skin, and then mm-hmm. once the powers manifested it. it um, but I believe they might have, like, a... I don't want to say like a mattifying powder because that's kind of like dumb. But you know, like they probably have some kind of like cosmetic that they keep yeah. just in case to like for you know to keep for like a couple hours at a time. I really like that idea. I think that's more interesting than like the sort of image inducer route of you know you you project a hologram from like a watch or something. I mm-hmm. like the idea that maybe you have a powder like almost like a, a concealer that mm-hmm. is um, chemically drawn to the specific charge of your skin. So you kind of just like throw it up in the air and then it adheres to you when you slightly turn on your powers. I was just thinking like, I just, you know, have a big powder puff and I just, <laughs> I mean, that's good too. <laughs> I'm just thinking if we got super science, we might as well, yeah. might as well play. Yeah. With it. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, okay, so you you effectively look, you know, very normal um, in this instance. Bethel, did you change out of your costume? Or are you in full kit still? No, I would probably have changed out of the full kit. Because um, I do think there is there is at least one outfit there at the house, or at the apartment because i wore it over there and changed that other time and also danny put it it on the mannequin that was supposed to be you yep and i'm still probably i think the only person who saw the mannequins and i'm besides uh besides clara so so she's in kind of her normal outfit that she would have worn over so like the the denim shorts and just like a striped sweater and she's not wearing the full cowl that she normally wears. She's wearing the much like the thinner one that she carries that she usually like she puts in and out of her back pocket. So she's still got the mask aspect on, which I think she is probably less strange given the setting that they're in and the makeup. So so she's in, you know, uh, just regular beat to shit Converse sneakers and some like denim shorts and her sweater. Nice. All right. Very cool. And um, one last point of order before we get into the scene. Kaz, I know you called Danny. You were definitely unable to get through. Did you leave a message? And what did that message say? Yeah, Kaz would have left a message and just said, Hey, Danny, wanted to let you know we're going to the club. Meet us at the kettle. Call if you're in danger. (laughs) All right. Um, so Danny, when you get back to your room, your phone will alert you that you have a voicemail, but you never felt it ring. And you have that message waiting for you. Danny will 
put a couple of the books that he has taken in his overalls. Just like, you know, maybe like three. Danny would want to dress up. So, would you say Victory has extra costumes? That's a valid question. I'm going to say yes, because obviously I'm going to say yes. So, Danny is going to put on Victory's singlet over his normal clothes and then take a pair of sunglasses first from somewhere, you know, uh, maybe like Kaz had a pair of sunglasses, something to cover his eyes. Um, and then, uh, open a portal a couple blocks from the kettle and then try and go incognito okay. to the club. All right. The three of you approach the entrance and there is somebody standing outside. A fairly large someone, um, about six feet tall. She has a shaved head with a tattoo on one side of it. Some type of bird, it looks like but you can't really get a a clear look at it. And she has very, very heavy black eyeliner. She's wearing a black pullover hoodie with the logo of some, it's clearly the name of some band in the stereotypical black metal font. If you know, you know. The sleeves are cut off. You can see she has very well-muscled arms that are currently crossed over her chest as you approach and as you draw closer she looks over each of you and then she very casually says hey guys hey parish she looks over at your squad mates and says you uh babysitting something like that we just wanted to see the show you know it's uh it's not all ages i know i know i mean that's burke they look like they're 15, but they're not, I swear. Yeah, I just have a baby face. Parrish looks skyward and, like, shakes her head. And then says, give me your hands. Just hold them out. They do. She will turn them over and then draw with a thick black sharpie two X's on the back of your hands. <laughs> This pains me, Amber. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's been 16 long years. (laughs) And um, she'll turn to Bethel and mime for you to do the same thing. Yeah, she doesn't care. She's just going to hand it over and just be like, "Mm mm-hmm. All right. But she does not do this to Kaz. And she also doesn't check... Kaz's ID or anything like that. As she finishes drawing the second X on the back of your hand, Bethel, she'll remark in an offhand way to Kaz, I wasn't expecting to see you tonight, to be honest. I'd, we talked about Infernum before. I didn't think they were your thing. I mean, they're still not, but it's a show. It's something to be doing on this night, and um, Burke has always wanted to see them. Parrish is going to look at you skeptically. But, um, shrug and say, uh, well, look, have fun, enjoy, be careful, and please don't make me regret this. I won't. I'll have eyes on them the entire time. We'll be cool. She kind of looks past you, like over your shoulder, Kaz, at something else in the street and says, just watch out. There's some real weirdos out tonight. 
if you turn to follow her gaze, um, you would see a poorly disguised Danny Carseat sort of making his way over. So. <laughs> and Kaz is going to be like, oh, um, yeah, actually, that one's with me, too. Kaz. <laughs> no, he's he's cool. Yeah. I'm Snake. <laughs> I'm Snake. I'm Snake. Kaz <laughs> looks like he's dying in response to this. Lyra just very quietly just crosses herself just ever so softly. Parrish has an involuntary, uh, an involuntary laugh bursts out of her chest at this, and she shakes her head and says. Just get, just go inside. Just get in there. I have ID. It is the same Chili's gift card. <laughs> I feel like Snake would use a Chili's ID of like Chili's. Oh my god. That, yeah, Danny's just being really true to his character. If you think about it, it's amazing. Method acting at its finest. <laughs> Parrish is gonna glance at the at the Chili's gift card. She's going to shake her head and say, that was cute. I feel like this is going to get old really fast. So get out of here. Danny winks, but she can't tell because of the sunglasses. And then he follows. (laughs) Point of order before we go in, because we walked here. It has not escaped Lyra as we got closer to here that we're like a block away from where just this morning uh, you know. Oh, not even a block away. Not even a block away. We are in the same place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She realizes that as the closer we get. Uh, and so when we go past, what's the situation like? Are Is there police tape? Is everything mysteriously gone as if everything has been replaced and there was never an incident? Is there a crater in the ground from the car and the man who got fucking plummeted from a mile high? There is a crater in the ground, but it looks like the rest of the debris and detritus has been cleaned up. And there isn't police tape or anything like that around, but there are some, like, sawhorse barriers that have been put up basically so nobody drives over the crater by accident. Okay. But it doesn't look like there's, like... An active police presence? No. There's no no one babysitting the situation? Doesn't look like it, no. You, in fact, I will say that you see a couple of like drunk punks that are like taking turns, you know, lying down in the middle of the crater, and then one of the others will like take their picture and they're like pretending to be like splayed out like they're unconscious or whatever. Beautiful. Nature mm-hmm. is healing. Okay. <laughs> you enter the kettle proper at the top of this very plain wrought iron staircase. And as soon as the door at the top as soon as you open the door at the top of the stairs which is padded with like with red leather and sort of a single porthole view in the middle of it your ears are assaulted with the sound of loud music and the smell of sweaty humans and the heat of hundreds of bodies pressed against each other in a very small poorly ventilated room you step inside and trigger your expectations there are a lot of people here large crowd most of them are standing fairly stationary but obviously there is a contingent in the center section that are 
absolutely just slamming into each other over and over again. You can see the occasional crowd surfer being passed up to the front from the back. And on stage, there is one man performing front and center. He is backed on either side by a guitar player and a bass player. And there is a large drum kit a little bit farther back on the stage. There's a banner hanging down over the back wall that is black and etched into it with silver thread. It just says Infernum. Alistair Infernum, the singer, front and center, you recognize immediately, Kaz. He is not a tall man by any means. You can tell that were you to be standing on the same level, you would be a few inches taller than him at the very least. He has a fairly slight build. He is wearing very tight leather pants with a chain for a belt, padlocked in the front, no shirt, revealing a pale torso with a few tattoos dotted here and there, all black, all very simple. And he has this shortcut sandy blonde hair that is swept back and a little bit of scruff. He is clutching a microphone in front of his face and absolutely just screaming into it. And the crowd is loving it. As he comes to the end of the song that they're currently performing, he drops the mic to his side, takes a deep breath, tilts his head back, and just breathes a gout of red and purple flame into the air over the crowd who go even wilder. People start cheering and there are gasps. As the fanfare is calming down from that, Alistair brings the microphone back up to his mouth and says, all right, thank you all so much for coming out. It's always nice to play the kettle. This venue's always been kind to us. It's one of our favorite places. You all never fail to show up and go absolutely mental. So we'd like to, we'd like to dedicate this next song to you. This is our last song for the night. It's been a hell of a time. We are Infernum, and this is called God Shits the Bed. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> and um, they immediately, uh, they, they launch into it with, you know, wailing guitars and, and pounding drums and bass, and then Alistair resumes screaming artfully into the microphone. Are you getting closer? I think so, yeah. Um, And I feel like I should note, just because this is probably important for my squad mates to know as we're watching this performance, Kaz looks looks kind of surprisingly intimidated by Alistair. Like, he's surveying him, he's surveying this performance, and he's just kind of like, all right, all right, I I can do this, I can do this, definitely do this and like it doesn't really seem to jive one with the fact that this was the person he selected to go to for potential help nor does it necessarily jive with what you're seeing on the stage in front of you uh hey Kaz yeah do you actually know this guy or do you just know of this guy well I know of him and 
I mean, it's it's a little complicated. There's there's a lot of layers here to be unpacking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so maybe he's my dad's greatest enemy. And I thought, who better to ask for help than the person my own dad is afraid of? Okay. All right. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, probably. I'm... Does he know about you? Possibly. Probably. I don't know. Okay. All right. And then she's gonna turn to Danny and be like, and where did you go? I'm just here for a good time. But Danny, while he's saying that, will pull out a couple of books and show them uh, to Bethel. Uh, and then, uh, like, open one to start reading it, but, like, is still staring at the stage, just trying to feel like he's being helpful. So, Kaz, you're pushing closer? If the rest of you are following, you all see this, but if not, Kaz, you are the only one who notices, but as you get closer, you do see that, aside from the handful of tattoos that he has, there are faint lines crisscrossing his chest and arms as he turns around jumping and twisting in the air while still screaming into the microphone you can see that they also crisscross across his back they almost look like scar tissue but you couldn't really see them from across the room are you doing anything or are you just enjoying the show i think kaz is just enjoying the show slash trying to figure out what the hell he's even going to say uh when he and alistair are face to face okay you push up to the front and as you get there alistair who is running back and forth across the stage from one side of the crowd to the other side of the crowd kind of just whipping them into a frenzy reaches your side of the stage and then looks out scanning all of the faces and you can tell his gaze stops on you. At that same moment, he stops singing, and his arm that was holding the microphone goes slack, and it sort of clatters to the stage. There's a whine of feedback that breaks out across the room. The rest of Infernum stop playing. They sort of grind to a halt, looking at each other with confused expressions on their faces. The crowd also is looking a little bit perplexed. All of a sudden, Alistair's head snaps back sharply, and his body sort of starts to contort. When he writes his head so that he's looking at you again, it sort of has this weird tilt to it. And you can see that there is this swirling red and black light in his eyes. But there are also cracks around the outside of his eyes. The reddish-black infernal light starts tracing those lines, crisscrossing his body. His mouth opens, and he says in a otherworldly voice that is clearly not Alistair's. You do not belong here. You are one of mine. Oh. <laughs> and in that same instant, as the 
reddish-black light finishes tracing those lines of scar tissue across his body. From the center of his chest, where you can see it is now lit up with a uh, inverted pentagram, explodes this massive black form. Almost immediately, people start screaming and rushing away. The other members of Infernum likewise ditch their instruments immediately and start running in opposite directions to get off of the stage and join the crowd. Everyone is thronging to the exit. The stage area that you are on is is quickly vacated and sort of winging above your, your heads in the open space of this venue, you see what looks to be this twisted black primordial dragon-like creature. It has a set of legs that you can clearly see, and then a set of wings where there would be arms. And its eyes glow with that same sort of reddish-black light, and a similar glow emerges from between two jaws the size of a mailbox. As it lands on the now-empty venue floor, facing you. You can see that there is a line of that same energy connecting it back to Alistair's body, which now is just sort of standing there on the stage, completely not moving. This is not what Kafka meant during the metamorphosis. Hmm. (laughs) No, that book's about turning into a bug. (laughs) <laughs> this is a dragon we just wanted to talk man can no adult be chill in our presence no. ever hey it did talk to you is it gonna let us answer before it starts snapping up souls it's not doing anything yet so I will say I don't think Kaz does you all any favors because I think Kaz's reaction, just given where things are, given what the demon just said, and given the fact that he believes that this is his father's greatest enemy, I think he just lights up and doesn't attack, but just says, all right, you want to go? We can go. That's that's literally the noise Lyra makes. She's standing there. She just goes, ugh. All right. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) So it it is going to draw its head back, and it is going to proclaim loudly to you, I will drag you back to hell and feast on your corpse for a thousand years. And then it is going to unleash a gout of hellfire out of its jaws directly at you. What do you do? I think Kaz tries to put up basically just a shield made of bone and block it, not just for himself, but for his team. Okay. Interesting. Um, if you are, yeah. All right. If you are doing it for everybody. So I think that is the, I think that is the question because if you are trying to prevent yourself from getting hurt, then you're going to be directly engaging a threat. But if you are mostly trying to protect your teammates, you can roll with savior instead of danger, but that will potentially leave you open for harm like you can protect your teammates by potentially risking yourself or you can protect yourself i'm gonna protect my teammates because i just promised perish that i wouldn't let anything happen to them okay roll to defend roll with uh savior all right that is 
and eight. You keep them safe, you keep your teammates safe, and you get to choose one. But it also costs you, and you have to decide if you are exposing yourself to danger or escalating the situation. You can add a team to the pool, take influence over someone you protect, or clear a condition. I think I'm going to say that Kaz is opening himself up for danger as he does this. I think okay. I think he chooses, I think still reflecting on what just happened with Jonathan, thinking about the promise he just made to Parrish, recognizing on some level that he's already escalating the situation. I think he focuses on them and leaves himself open. All right. You escalate the situation. Well, that's actually two different things. So I think I'm going to say you are exposing yourself to danger more than you are escalating the situation. But you still get to decide if you're adding a team to the pool, taking influence over someone you protect, or clearing a condition. I'm going to say that I'm going to add a team to the pool. All right. Team uh, pool is good. And also, actually, if you're going to all be engaging in this particular conflict, then we are going to say that you are entering battle as a team. We are automatically adding two team to the pool. The pool is popping off tonight. And in addition to that, Lyra, you are the leader now, officially. Do you have influence over every member of your team? Uh, well... To be fair, I won't count. I won't count Berkeley in that because Berkeley is new and... Yeah. I'm new. Holds up sport. I do have influence over... All of them. All right, so that's another one. Does everyone have the same purpose in this fight? No. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think Berkeley is very confused. This is an interesting one. Yeah. No, the confusion is absolutely understandable. This is an interesting one. Does anyone mistrust Bethel? No. No. Yes. Oh, that's one we're taking away. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you did this to yourself. I know, but Danny doesn't like being yelled at. Well, then don't be selfish. <laughs> tell Danny. I'm Jamie. Well, Jamie, tell Danny. <laughs> Lyra did tell him that. Lyra <laughs> said, don't D- be you selfish. You think Danny listens to me? <laughs> Are you ill-prepared or off-balance? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you are. Correct. All right. Five team. That is a very good position to be in. Um, go nuts with it. But... All of that being said, Kaz, you are opening yourself to danger. You're exposing yourself to danger, which means that this hellfire is going to wash over you. And I am going to say that you straight up have to take a condition. I will say that you I will say that you dive out of the way and you avoid getting burned to a crisp. But it does leave your jacket smoldering slightly and you do feel that heat wash over you. You feel yourself start to sweat through the skull makeup that you put on. I'm gonna say you are afraid. That tracks. In the aftermath of that blast of fire, which you were all protected from by Kaz's shield. Made of bones. Made of bones. I feel like that's understood at this point. <laughs> Doesn't hurt to specify. Does anybody want the spotlight? Does anybody want to do a thing here? Yeah. So Lyra's now very very up because she did not come here intending to get into a fight mainly because Berkeley might die so there's that the first thing I think she's going to do is kind of like ask Burke 
if they can get to the stage and see if they can wake Alistair up. Yeah, yeah, I can, I, I can do my best. Because <laughs> I don't. She doesn't really know if that's that'll help, uh, but maybe. And then the secondary thing is I'm going to start to prep some kind of a trap to catch this thing in, probably pulling probably from the glass from behind the bar to try to make, like, essentially a glass net. All right. Um, So you were trying to trap this thing, which I'm going to say is you're also going to be rolling to defend. You are going to try to protect your teammates, probably specifically Kaz, since it's going after Kaz. So roll with Savior. Well, I don't know, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to set up for one of my moves, but my move is a two-part. I have to have a trap for it. So I don't know. I would still say, I would say that once it is trapped, you can do the second part of your move, but I think the trapping it depends on what your intention is, specifically, you know? Um, So, like, you don't have to do defend someone, but that means that, you know, Kaz is potentially going to get blasted again. By the skin of my teeth, that's a seven. Okay. That was two threes. You also get to make the same uh, fun choices, which is you can expose yourself to danger or escalate the situation. I will also expose myself to danger. Very cool. Love that for you. (laughs) You can add a team to the pool, clear condition, or mark a potential. I'll take a potential. I had a feeling. You had five yet? (laughs) No, I'm at three. (laughs) Remarkable. Listen, bring Nina back. I always fail whenever I'm rolling against her. <laughs> Maybe you should break her out of jail. Who knows? No. No. <laughs> Danny's on board. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> so what is going to happen is you break all of this glass and you pull the shards out from behind the bar and you send it flying at this hell dragon to trap it. It flinches away from your glass and roars in frustration but as it as it does so it is going to spin and its large tail is going to lash out and strike you lyra and send you flying back crashing into the edge of the bar and i'm going to uh i think i'm going to go with insecure i think i'm going to give you insecure because you are embarrassed that you didn't see that coming and get out of the way acrobatics is kind of your thing yes With that all told, you get hit, you protect Kaz, you distract this thing. I want to know, Danny, what are are you going to do? Um, well, Danny's not going to do anything, (laughs) but Snake is going to. Oh, God. (laughs) No, um, uh, Danny is going to, after hearing, um, Bethel tell Burke about trying to get to the stage, uh, to wake him up, Danny is going to open a bunch of portals most of them lead to the outside to help anybody who is running away from the danger try and get outside, but one will be uh, in front of Burke uh, to get uh, them to the stage as close as uh, Danny can manifest it. A snake can manifest it. A snake. A snake can manifest. Um, that's really good. That's a really good idea. What would you say is your more immediate concern? Protecting the, the concert goers that are fleeing or getting Burke to the stage? Probably protecting the concert goers that are fleeing. Okay. Understandable. Very understandable. I am going to need you to also roll savior to defend. Doing a lot of defending, which you're heroes. 
Well, there's a big, <laughs> big evil demon dragon. Yeah. Four and two plus two, uh, eight. Eight, yeah. I mean, kind of the, yeah, yeah. Same, same rule everyone has been making. You can add team to the pool, take influence, or clear a condition. Lyra, you could not take a potential. Um, I was mistaken. I'm not going to take it away from you. That was my bad. Oh, okay. Um, add a team to the pool, take influence. I'm going to clear a condition, because um, I think by trying to save people and by working on his project, Danny has kind of gotten over some of his guilt. Okay. Love that for you. But then Danny's probably going to be kind of stuck doing this for a minute, unless like something bigger happens, just to maintain all the portals. He's not going to be able to do a whole lot of action otherwise. Fun. All right. Um, Danny, as you are focused on the portals and creating them, the dragon spins in a circle within its glass prison, looking for the source of this sudden flux of magic. And it's going to settle on you as you are clearly conducting all of this those eyes which are really just empty sockets of this same kind of energy are going to somehow narrow at you and sparks of that same light wash across your own eyes covering them what is danny's greatest fear being back where he came from by himself suddenly you are no longer in the kettle. You are reliving that moment right before you jumped back in time. But this time it didn't work. And it was all for nothing. I think Danny would freeze. But it's like a full sensory overload. Is it just sight or is it every sense? It feels like he's back there. It's everything. It feels like you are okay. truly back there. It is indistinguishable from reality. Um... Hmm. If Danny still had the portals open, he is probably going to flinch and they'll close. I'll give you a choice. I can give you a condition or you can uh, lose the portals. If you want to keep them open, I will give you a condition. I'm trying to, feel like I'm trying to figure out how he would react in this situation. I think, I think he would take a condition, but I think the portals would also close. I think both would happen. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, everybody, no, but no, like, no. that's, I feel like how Danny would react. I think that makes sense. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give you the hopeless condition because that feels fitting. And yeah. um, the portals do close all around you, but by that point, it actually seems like everyone has made it outside. All of the people who are still in the bar, you kept it open just long enough for them to get to safety. And... I think the last thing that happens is as your last portal is flickering closed, a form dives through it and comes up in a roll on her feet in the bar. And you would recognize Parrish, who was the door person. And she is going to survey the area quickly. She's going to grit her teeth and basically wade into the fray. Borealis, you were given a job to do. I was in fact given a job to do, and I'm going to do it. So, uh, while there's a lot of nonsense and buffoonery going on, Borealis is going to hop up and take advantage of like the chaos in the Discord and see if they can hop up on stage and um, awaken this man. Um, let's see here. Let me look to see, because I I'm 
I'm reticent to use one of my actual powers right now, considering like the tone of the conversation I had in the elevator. I mm-hmm. wonder if I could directly engage a threat here with Alistair. And instead of like, of course, like going directly in a clash, um, would instead use that directly engage a threat to like punch him in the face to wake him up or do something direct and painful yeah you know what i'm trying to get at i do yeah no absolutely i think that's totally fair this is definitely a dangerous situation so you can absolutely roll with danger yeah okay direct action works listen okay all right that's i'll take that that's an eight <laughs> All right. Uh, eight is eight is good. Eight is very good. So you can pick one. Eight is enough. Eight is enough. You can pick one. You can resist or avoid their blows. Take something from them. Create an opportunity for your allies or impress, surprise, or frighten the opposition. I would love... To- oh, wait. Well, it's a nines. I mean, because I have a plus one forward. Uh, well, if it's a nine, that is a perfect opportunity for one of your teammates to pull from the pool to give you a ten. Yes. Bethel, how are you aiding in this effort from where you have just been slammed into the bar? I think uh, as she gets back to her feet and kind of looks around and sees that Burke has has made it to the stage as as requested, Lyra's gonna just call back to them good! Just like a one, just <laughs> as much positive reinforcement as she can put into that word. Okay. Good. As she's a little bit disoriented. That she's disoriented you. from getting slammed into a bar. Okay. <laughs> just, just in this, so in the most disoriented kind of like winded yeah. voice, you hear, you hear that. I am good with it. And we will call that a 10. You can actually pick two. So you can pick the one you were going to pick and also not get hurt if you would so like. Wonderful. I was going to um, actually create an opportunity for my allies um, and mm-hmm. also surprise the opposition. Mm-hmm. Okay. I dig that. So what exactly are you doing? Are you punching him in the face? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Burke is... I, I think not even like a punch. I don't think they want to bend down low and if this dude wakes up like get decked. I think what they're going to do okay. is just like a the Im- immediate thought I had was like a almost like a curb stomp, but obviously not. <laughs> also, just to be clear, he's not lying down. He's still standing on his feet. He's just kind of like oh. zombie, like zombie standing there like his I was imagining <laughs> like Petrificus Totalis like mm. past the fuck out okay no yeah he's still on his feet then yeah <laughs> then actually there's a mic stand right oh yeah yeah i think they're gonna like pick up the mic stand and point it to like the prongs or either the base of the mic stand and just like ram that into the like alistair's belly to see if that okay. will like rouse them yeah <laughs> You knock the wind out of him, absolutely, and send him stumbling back. It's an involuntary reaction where all the breath just leaves his body in one whoosh, and he is doubled over, 
gasping. I think now he does fall down to his knees as he is trying to just breathe. He looks around the room, takes stock of the situation, and looks horrified, but is currently unable to to do anything. Sorry to do that, um, Mr. Infernape, um, but... <laughs> but I... I uh, I just wanted to wake you up. Okay, um, here's your mic stand back. Bye! And then I'm gonna run away, and I think doing, like, direct action like that actually... You know, just running up, direct action, doing something crazy, uh, and then, like, yeeting myself off the stage. I'm gonna make an argument. Will that clear my afraid? Uh, yeah. I think so. I I will say yes if you leave this conflict. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna leave the conflict altogether. I think that was, like, if I stay around and I if, if I would be forced to use my powers like more and that's something I don't want to do so I think I'm just gonna like use that to like run backstage and be like okay support from back here maybe I can find the catwalk and support from up okay bye <laughs> or like the tech <laughs> box or something yeah the dragon is going to turn as if it can sense what has just taken place as if it can sense Alistair has reawoken and is going to turn to look at him and they make eye contact with one another the dragon releases another grunt of clear frustration and turns back to you just in time for Parrish to take the opportunity to rush in and clock it across its dragon jaw and it 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 doesn't go tumbling or anything by by any means it doesn't really even move but its head does snap to the side and then Parrish throws herself into another roll this time forward and comes back up onto her feet and turns around the dragon looks angry but not specifically hurt what are you doing yeah, I think Kaz is going to make a spear out of bone and try to pin one of its wings. Okay, very cool. Um, I'm going to say you are directly engaging. So roll with danger. Roll with danger. That is an 11. Perfect. Yeah, you can pick two. Resist or avoid their blows, take something from them, create an opportunity, or impress, surprise, or frighten the opposition. I think I'm going to go with take something from them and impress them. Because I don't think that they expected this from Kaz. Are you taking their flight? I am taking their flight. Great. Yeah. You were creating an opportunity, right? I was... And taking something from them. uh, And impressing them. Yeah. Right. Right. Impressing them, taking something from them. That makes sense. Even as you pin its wing, it's going to snarl at you. And in that same resounding voice, it's going to say, I have your scent now, little soul. There's nowhere you can run. That Golgoth cannot find you. 
Lyra, mm-hmm. you were setting up a move. So, setting up the move, which I don't know if it actually will work the way I thought it does upon rereading it. Because I think it's... It says I have to trip them into the trap, basically. Mm. So I don't know if I set it up properly for this. Well, what's the move that you're trying to do? Dangerous web. Mm. Okay. When you reveal a trap you've left for someone using your powers. So I was trying to set up the trap, but the, it more turned into I just did the thing. I mean, that's true, but I, I mean, I would say you set it up. Like, it's not exactly, you know, you didn't exactly do this long term, but I don't think that's inherently um, an issue. I don't think it really matters too much because what I think I'm going to do with it is basically it the net is over it now and basically all I would do is I want to snap the net inwards because it was a dream world so you know it didn't really happen the first time but in theory I can further pin this dragon down with hundreds of thousands of glass shards just basically just pulling straight down over top of it to pin it down until so hopefully if it's pinned down then hopefully Alistair can like regain control of this situation stuff this Pandora back in its box alright roll with your mask label which for you I believe is savior it's a nine anyone like to throw in a team I can I'm in a hellscape of my own mind I know, Danny is just... What does it look like for the rest of us? Oh, Danny uh, has fallen to his knees, his hands just kind of draped loosely on the floor, and his head just kind of, like, staring up into a void. Just, like, there is no expression on his face, but if you had to pin it as something, it would be, like, waiting for death. Yeah. So not good. Yeah, he's in bad place. Not great. Bad place. (laughs) Bad times. Meanwhile, Snake would just be at a bar with no chicks. That's his worst fear. (laughs) Snake's not afraid of anything. Snake would have been immune to this power. It's true. Too cool. Just hanging loose. All right. It's going to be helping Bethel out with this. I think Kaz would. I think he would do that by keeping the dragon's attention on him so that it's not paying attention to what Bethel is doing and just being like, you think I'm afraid of you? I'm not afraid of you. I think also Burke was going to try to find the spotlight or where like the light booth was to see if they could use the lights to potentially blind the dragon. Okay, I like it. And uh, I think we can do both. I think we can say that you both do this together and um, still only do the one team. So you shine the spotlight down and Kaz, you have the dragon's full attention, which... Bethel leaves you the perfect opening to throw your net, to manipulate and control that net, that glass net, enough to really pin this thing into place. And it roars in pain as you do so. In the aftermath of that, Danny, in this hellish dream world that you are currently trapped in, I imagine you you are in a similar position, sort of fallen to your knees... Yeah, it's exactly what he's doing in both spots. And something is reaching for you. Is it like something I sense or is it something I see? 
it's something standing right in front of you and we're concealing it for, you know, dramatic reasons. Like there's a shadow that falls over you and maybe we see like a hand reach out for you. But before it can touch you, you hear this disembodied voice cut through the air all around you and it says, that's enough. There's power behind it. And this vision that you're surrounded by melts away and you're back in the bar. Alistair Infernum has set the mic stand down on the stage and has used it to lift himself back to his feet. He's still a little bit doubled over, but he is speaking with authority. He has a very determined expression on his face, and that thread of energy that is connecting him to Golgamoth, you can see it starts to grow taut as he starts taking steps across the stage toward the edge of it. On the other end of the line, Golgamoth starts being pulled towards Alistair. And it is enraged by this. It is kicking and screaming the whole way. Its long talons are cutting into the floor of the bar as it is literally being dragged to him. Your net is being pulled up. Your bone spike is being pulled up. It leaves, you know, it cuts a, a shred out of out of his wing. Alistair reaches the edge of the stage and hops down and keeps walking forward with purpose, is clearly straining with the effort of this. As he does so, he says through gritted teeth, he says, that is more than enough. Will not hurt anyone else tonight. Still roaring with impotent rage, the form of the dragon, the tip of its tail reaches Alistair and begins to be absorbed back into his chest. And after a minute or so of this push and pull battle, the entirety of this enormous school bus sized dragon from hell has been reabsorbed back into the body of this one rock star. And the infernal light that covers his scar tissue and blocks his eyes slowly fades. The energy retracts back into his eyes, which fade back to their normal color. He collapses against the front of the stage, barely using the edge to hold himself up. Gonna go see how Danny's doing. I'm gonna leave this to to Kaz. Just go pick Danny up off the floor. Parrish is gonna let out an exhale and start like, in a very business-like way, start looking around and say, everybody okay? Anybody get hurt? Kaz, what are you doing? Well, I think Kaz does give Parrish just a thumbs up. I think now that the immediate threat is over, like he definitely looks shaken and kind of all of that purpose that he had coming into this has somewhat deserted him. Um, but I think he's still seeing Bethel go to check on Danny. I think he still approaches Alistair just cautiously and not with as much bravado as he kind of brought into the room when he first walked in. He is uh, in rough shape. He looks exhausted and paler than he did before. And he's kind of cradling his midsection. And as you approach, he looks up at you, but he doesn't really clock you. You can tell. 
and says, who hit me? Oh, that's, that's not a, that's not important. (laughs) I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was only to help. I, that's fine. Who are you people? Well, I'm, I'm spectral. Uh, uh, look, I'm not. I've not been doing this for that long. I'm. I'm. I don't know everybody. If that. If I'm supposed to be impressed by that, I apologize. That I am not. That. Um. That. That's. That's fine. Uh, you have a demon inside of you. I. It's not really a demon. Uh, technically, uh, it's called a Hildrake, which is a different thing, as it turns out. What uh what do uh what do Heldrakes do? They're wardens, basically. Uh jailers. They keep souls in hell. They're assigned to be the wardens of particularly damned or evil souls. So what I'm hearing you say is if that Heldrake said it recognized you. It might not be uh it might not be the greatest thing ever for that to be something that one would say. He looks at you with dawning understanding and says It was you. You're what set him off. I normally I've got a pretty good lid on him these days. Every once in a while Nothing sets him off like that, except. What did you say your name was? Spectral. All right. Spectral. Well, I am Alistair, and it's nice to meet you, I guess. I'll hold his hand out. And I'm, I'm going to say Kaz takes it. I think he's he's definitely like off his footing and is just like you're not what I expected. I get that uh a lot from uh, a lot of different people. Actually, on a variety of different topics. I'm kind of just a, you know, like the bus driver, I guess, a lot of the time. So Everything like like noteworthy that Alistair and Fernham has ever done has you know largely been the the big guy. That makes a surprising amount of sense. Uh you wanna tell me what brought you out here? You you're a fan. I wish I could say I was, but I'm I'm gonna be honest, not really. Um I I came to talk to you because I had some questions about demons. And I thought you might have the answers to them. I didn't know all of this was going to happen. Yeah, me. Me neither. Why don't we have a seat? We can talk about your demon problem. And he looks over at Parrish and says, uh, I will uh, pay for, for all of this. Um, can we stay? We, we good? And she like looks around and shrugs. You gonna tip? And he says, yes. <laughs> she shrugs and says, sure. And goes behind the bar where Alistair will 
like collapse onto one of the stools, order a drink. What are the rest of you doing? How successful is Lyra at rousing Danny? I think once Danny realizes um, he's back, he he never left, I guess, um, he will uh, stand pretty easily, but he won't talk. And he will uh, start searching through the books he has to find out if there's anything that stops mind control. But he he's he's not communicative at all. He's just panicked and like not not panicked, but he is like focused on on looking through these to see if he has a way to stop that from happening again. He does not want to go there ever again. Then in that case, Lyra's gonna kind of like motor him over to one of the other bar stools, and then she's gonna. Go searching for her other wayward ward. <laughs> He's gonna go looking for Burke. Oh no, I'm up here. I can. I I'm up here. You good? Yeah. I I just I. I'll I'll come down. Can I grab Danny anything? They look a little pale. Uh, I don't know what you'll find okay. up there for him, okay. but if you find anything that you think might help from the okay. catwalk. You're more than welcome to. Is there anything that I could find from up here? Or no? All right. Well, it's it's worth trying. <laughs> Not really. Not on the catwalk. Yeah, but you can make your way back down very easily. I think in the in the collective awkwardness of this going on, Lyra's just going to start balling the glass up into one large lump for easy disposal. Just kind of awkwardly looking at Parrish, just like. Sorry. <laughs> Berkeley. Uh-huh. Real quick. As you are crossing the catwalk to make your way back down, mm-hmm. you suddenly feel it shift under your feet. And a second later, with almost no warning, it drops out from under you. Crashes into the stage. What do you do? I think... So the burns that I had, I don't think I used all of them. I think I had two left over. I believe that is correct. I think what I'm going to do is just as a reflex, literally as a reflex, not even thinking, just knowing that that's what I need to do, is I'm going to use shielding, um, which is one of my flares, where I call up a fast protective shield to stop a danger. I think I'm going to position it towards me. And so uh, I rolled a five. <laughs> I rolled a five <laughs> for shielding. It's okay. Roll 20 hates me 100% of the time. Mark a potential. Roll 20 is a bastard. It's Roll true. 20 is a bastard, man. What I'm going to say, you do it. The catwalk falls and Berkeley falls along with it. But as they are plummeting, almost as an involuntary reaction, their body emits this light that forms that same sort of protective barrier around them that you had seen before uh, in the street fight. The catwalk hits the stage, followed by you. And it is clear to all of you that Berkeley has managed to protect themselves. They have managed to call up a shield, but... The shield doesn't go away. That sort of sphere 
of light just sort of remains unmoving where they fell. And it is quiet as you all stare, waiting for them to get up or dismiss it or release it. But five seconds pass, then 10 seconds pass, and then 15 seconds pass, and If you'd like to keep up with us and what we're up to, you can follow us on Twitter at Live from the Apoc, Instagram and TikTok at Live from the Apocalypse, or join our Discord community, which will be linked in the description down below. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, feel free to give us a good rating and follow us on your podcatcher of choice. Leave a review if you're so inclined, it really does help us out so much. The donation link to our First Nations Development Institute fundraising campaign can also be found in the description if you'd like to help support Indigenous communities. Join us for the live recordings of Academy H every other Sunday, or any of our many other ongoing live-streamed campaigns that happen throughout the week over at twitch.tv slash livefromtheapocalypse. For all this information and more, check out livefromtheapocalypse.com. As always, nothing we do would be possible without your support, and we appreciate you so much. Until next time. Academy H is edited by Will Malkus with music and sound effects from Epidemic Sound. Character art by at OxyBellasDraws on Twitter and Instagram. awful honestly <laughs> for what uh is it snake was that your snake voice for what <laughs> i only want to i only want to talk to snake hey so oh why is you guys like a sagittarius i got nothing <laughs> snake wanted to talk about astrology what are you doing dude that's not cool i mean it's fine it's not uncool